0: Alrighty, Pastor Mark Driscoll here with The Real Leaders Podcast. And this is an episode that we're gonna focus largely on online digital ministry. Many of you have made the pivot from in-person to online. Some states are moderately open, some are almost fully open. Many are closed. Many of my friends in certain states are closed probably through the end of the year, which means the only ministry that they really have is online and digital. And so I've got with me today, a real specialist in the field Churches and nonprofits. Trent Dunham, how are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm good, Pastor Mark. Thanks for having me on today. Glad to join. Yeah, glad to have you.
0: And you're down in Dallas, Texas, one of the greatest countries on earth. So congratulations yes. to you. Maybe you said it right. Tell us a little bit just about Dunham and Company, so folks are familiar with your organization and your work. And then I want to talk about online giving and social media and kind of the trends that you're seeing from churches and nonprofits and how to maximize the online opportunity.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, Dunman Company was started back in 2002. Um, my dad and I started it uh, back then, and I joined um, about a month later. And we have been—we have an office in Dallas, Texas, and we have one in Sydney, Australia. We do a lot of work, obviously down in Australia, New Zealand, but also in the UK, South Africa. So, it's a pretty global organization. With the goal, really, of helping organizations, every organization, Christian nonprofit that we work with, whether that be a church, a cause based ministry, feeding kids around the world, uh, doing mission work. Uh, it, whether it be someone like uh, like you, Pastor Mark, who has a uh, a broadcast ministry or a ministry that's delivering content to people through different platforms, or a radio station, uh, a lot of nonprofit Christian radio stations we help out. But no matter what type of organization it is, every organization uh, could be having more impact than they're having now. There's a gap between what is and what could be. We call that the impact gap, and our job organizationally is to help close that gap. Obviously, that happens through a real uh, good understanding and implementation of a communication strategy, uh, fundraising strategy, uh, and content strategies. And so that's where we spend the bulk of our time doing that through different media platforms and putting people on, whether that's TV or radio or growing their footprint on the internet. And so that's that's what we do, what we're about, and what we're passionate about.
0: Well, and you guys have been a good friend to me. I've learned a lot from you and I appreciate you. And uh, I know personally, you guys tend to work just with those that are kind of Bible-based, Jesus-centered. Mm-hmm. You're not taking every client you could possibly get, but those who believe the Bible and want to get the message of Jesus out, Uh, either in word or deed or both, I guess, uh, is kind of your focus. And just so that uh, those who are listening know, you can get tangential information, and this is what a lot of pastors and leaders do. We call this pastor or this guy, we get small data points, and then we can amplify that to rush to conclusions that may not be very well-researched and very well-founded. And one of the things I like um, that, that you all do is you work with a breadth of organizations, and so you're getting real data Uh, And real data points to help other organizations make the pivot uh, to more successful online ministries So not you know, not just a humble brag But maybe just give us a sense of some of the organizations you work with so that as you share some of the data points They understand kind of the gravitas under those data points
1: sure yeah, we've had the privilege over the years. Um, we, we do a lot of work. We handle, for instance, all the the new donor acquisition for Compassion International We uh, on radio um, that they do. We work with lots of pastors around the world, from Pastor Rick Warren at Settleback Church and his ministry called Daily Hope to my home pastor, Pastor Jack Graham at Prestonwood Baptist Church, to um, yourself and probably two dozen others. I could go down the list of guys like Skip Heitzig at Calvary uh, Albuquerque, and um, you know, dozens and dozens of others. A lot of pastors, and then we get the privilege of working with some pretty significant. Uh, people in the media space, too, like uh, K-Love, if you've ever listened to K-Love Radio or Air One Radio, uh, Way FM, if if any of those are in your local markets, we, we get to serve them in a lot of those capacities as well. And so <laughs> just a, a, a wide breadth of organizations and churches that we get to serve, which we've just been had the privilege of, like you said. Because we are in so many of those environments, and we just get to learn and look at so much of the data that comes through and how people interact and react, that we've just had the ability to aggregate a lot of that and use that to the benefit of other ministries as they figure out what their next phase of growth might be.
0: So that's a perfect transition. So I would like you to talk specifically, uh, now that we've kind of established, you know, the the optics that you have into what other ministries are doing nationally and globally, I'd like to first spend a bit of time on online giving and then a bit of time on social media. So, I mean, many churches, uh, and as well as some ministries that had in-person meetings, uh, they did not get a heads up. I mean, if you're in, let's say the North and you know that every winter it's going to snow. And at some point the roads are going to be treacherous. Usually the weather forecaster says, Hey, coming up in a few weeks, weeks, make sure you've stocked up the pantry because it's going to go rough. Uh, With what everybody got hit with, it was very sudden, largely unexpected and as a result, unprepared for and for many ministries and churches going into the Easter season. It's kind of our Super Bowl and then everything gets torpedoed and many were strong with online giving and many have had to make the pivot very, very quickly uh, just to ensure viability. So what are you learning seeing? Uh, I know that Dunham Company is doing a lot of research, putting out a newsletter talking about trends. What are you seeing that's working, not working for those that are in the nonprofit sector? What would your recommendations be?
1: Yeah, it's uh it's definitely um for especially for organizations that met in person previously just think of church there's been so much data that has come through for the church. What we've seen a couple things happen. One is <clears throat> your the way people are consuming content is um, obviously move digitally which means not just through social media not just through um, like your online church portals but if you think about even TV consumption has been way way up during during covid and the pandemic shutdown and, and it really has tapered only slightly as things have started to reopen so when you couple that with what's happening online it, you know, you've got two types of churches. You got the most churches in America that are seventy-five people, bivocational pastor, um, you know, and and probably never had streamed an online service in their life. They've had to start from scratch and start from square one and figure out, okay, what do I do now to even maybe do I just put a video of myself on YouTube? What does that look like? And then you have other churches who have been streaming before online. Their services have been online, but they've never thought about the format. It had been, and I, I had one pastor to describe it this way, is that they had been analog primarily and digital as a backup. And now it's digital primarily with an analog as a backup. And and a lot of pastors don't know that if it will ever go back to the way it was. In fact, as our church begins to open up in Dallas, Texas, what we have seen is people are used to, or they're much more comfortable now with there being six cameras around the the stage and in, in the auditorium because they 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 consumed that product before and understand what it is for and so you you both have the how do i get it done conversation and then you have the how people are consuming conversation and so as for a church you know, you had a, you you probably ran the same church uh, schedule or service schedule for years and years and years and years. You took offering at this time, you did worship at this time, you did four songs and, well, you know, whatever it was. Well, people consume content differently through digital mediums than they do in person. And as a result, trying to see how people, where do people engage? A good example is, is we see fewer people engaging in longer music sets of worship and, we see the peak come when the sermon starts, and and as you start to get into the sermon, that's where really the peak audience is. The main reason that people are tuning in for that service, and so thinking through, we still want to have worship. How do we? How might we adjust that to um, to uh, address an audience that's sitting on a couch watching a tablet, or sitting as a family watching, you know, it stream on their TV? So just thinking about how habits have increased. One of the things that I think is most important, Mark, is that. We did research recently on the donor behavior, the donor psyche through the pandemic. If you uh, have a historically attended church as an individual once a week or more, you are um, very likely to uh, continue to give at a high level. Um, and so what I mean by that is that you are likely to give um, uh, as, at the same rate that you had before. And so that's where uh, it's important to understand that if your giving is down, that's probably not due to your constituents not wanting to give or being able to give, but maybe it's more likely as a result of the fact that you haven't done a good job asking or things like that.
0: So within that um I have seen most of the data surveys that I've seen say that sixty-five uh, ish, maybe two-thirds to three fourths of churches and nonprofits have seen their giving decline thus far in twenty twenty, and that only a small percentage have seen an uptick or an increase. Is that consistent with what you're seeing? Because I think for some leaders they're thinking, you know, this is a little bit of a dip and we'll get we'll get open, we'll get back to normal, we'll pick up where we left off, we'll make up our ground. And I think some guys are very optimistic, but I'm not sure that that's well-founded.
1: Yeah, I think you have you have to, at this point, you have to have decided that I'm going to be really intentional about how I'm going to communicate, um, and both in what, how we've, not just how we've pivoted the ministry during a season like this, but how we're pivoting going forward, and telling the story, being able to tell that story, and looping back the impact that the church is having as a result of um, what during the season giving will come back the economy is going to go back up and so as a result of what you do now will have uh, uh, determined greatly the the degree to which people are engaged with you moving forward and so i don't think it's not going to go back to the norm norm of like all of a sudden if i've only ever passed the plate and i don't have online giving as a thing Um, it's not going to go back to that normal. You're not going to be able to pass the plate. In fact, our church decided we passed the plate forever, and our church has made the decision that we're not passing the plate anymore. We made it's the always,
0: same decision. I mean, you hand it, and it's almost, for some people that are more high-risk category or a little more anxious, it's almost like you're passing a grenade with a pin pulled down the row, you know? Yeah, And uh, yep. it, it creates an awkward situation. And so I, most of the guys I'm talking to, they're not passing the plate, and we're all having the conversation about, it. do you do communion? And if so, how do you do it um, so that it doesn't strike fear in the hearts of those who participate? And so I... I I think you're going to see changes in the in-person meeting and changes online. And are you seeing the more successful not, – not – I want to compare large versus small, but impact, are you seeing those that are having a greater ministry impact, are they no longer just taking what they were doing in the room and broadcasting it, but thinking of the broadcast as a completely separate experience and reverse engineering something very different rather than just um, kind of like a security footage, you know, in the 7-Eleven, just showing what's happening on Sunday in the building. Is that, is that what is working or what is working?
1: Yeah, I think what you have to ask is, how how do I put that audience that's remote or virtual first? And so, like, as our church has reopened, we still have the in-person experience, but it is morphed a little bit. So there is someone on the side of the stage at the beginning of the of the service that's doing an intro to the camera for the online audience, and it kind of gives a visual to your congregation that's there in person that, yeah, we're still engaging this virtual audience, that this is something we're doing intentionally, and, um, and we're thinking about their experience. And if, as, if you've consumed that at home before, during the shutdown, you kind of see, you, you make a visual connection with that person that, you oh, yeah, I saw them on the screen. And now I'm seeing them do that in person. That makes sense to me. And so I think the ways that you not just prioritize the audience that's virtual, but bring that into the the analog or the the in-person experience. I think that's where things will really begin to morph. And and I think the combination of those two things is what's really going to change the perspective with which the congregation sees this is a priority for the church, and also prioritize the Experience for the person that's that's watching it uh, virtually, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and so I noticed this uh, some years ago. I'm, I'm old. I'm getting old, and so uh, I mean, I got a communications degree before the internet. So you know, when I used to ride my dinosaur to church to preach off the stone tablets uh, before <laughs> the internet and before MP3s and websites and and things of that nature, um, then we started going digital and. It was very, very interesting because there would be people that would mi- would visit the church or you'd bump into and they would say, quote, it's very, very weird to see you teach in person because I've only ever listened or watched online. And so it's very strange to be in the room with you. And I think what happens for a lot of us who are used to more traditional church is we think normal church is sitting in the room with a preacher. And I think for those who maybe meet Jesus or start to consume their primary Bible teaching, digitally, Digitally, their normative experience is going to be a screen, not a seat. Yep. And I don't think that we're just waiting for them to convert to our normal. I think we need to be cognizant of their normal and start to think, okay, if that's primarily how they consume content. And I'm a local church pastor, I'm in the pulpit yep. on Sunday, I believe in relationships and all of that. So I'm not saying that content equals church, but I'm saying that content is part of Christian life. And, uh, and going forward, do you think that most ministries will, will start to see their pr- their primary church or those who affiliate with that church be online and digital, not present in the room, meaning it's no longer geographically limited?
1: Yeah, for sure it's not geographically limited. And I think the church and the decisions the church, local church makes— Determine what that audience is going to be like, and I was talking to with one pastor who said, "I view my church globally. Now we have people tuning in every week from all around the world. In fact, we're setting up Bible study groups with those pe- with a number of those people in different countries, even in different states here domestically in the U.S. Viewing that that way, that this is the way that church is going for us in the future. I've, I've also heard other pastors say." it's going to be all local. I don't I don't believe in, you know, spending that much energy on what engaging people outside the local. And I think that as a result of the, your philosophy or the way that you view your church, quote unquote, congregation has everything to do with the way that you're going to prioritize things. And honestly, Mark, I just believe that understanding and embracing the fact that whether you believe you've been called to have church members in Morocco or not, they're going to join. So how do you How do you handle that, and how do you create an experience online for people who don't have access to a a good Bible-teaching church home that can be consistent for uh, them and can be something that actually benefits and grows them in their relationship with Jesus?
0: Well, and right now, it's the— easiest time in the history of the world to quote unquote church shop. It used to be, you know, let's say you're in a small town and there's seven churches because seven different times Christians had to fight and split. So you got seven churches in your little town. And if you were to go from one church to another church on Sunday, people would say, well, what are you doing here? Now you just visit wherever you want to visit. You consume whatever content you want to consume and there's total anonymity and privacy with it and I'm not sure that many people who are now, you know, sort of voting with their device are going to go back to a local ministry unless it provides some additional value like relationship and so I think there will always be a place for the local church being the family of God and all of that, but that doesn't mean that just because even if people return to church that they won't continue consuming online content and participating in both places
1: exactly right exactly right and i think we have to be comfortable with that and realize how do we if we ignore them then they're number one going to go somewhere else. Number two, they will they will not have the experience that they could otherwise have as a result of the ministry uh, gifts that God's given us in our church. And so, how do we how do we just embrace that fact and create an environment and an experience and an intentionality with those people that takes them to those next steps that we know God would have them take, even if the, if, if they were with us physically. So I don't think they're they're not mutually exclusive. And it's important, too, that we understand that communications actually have to happen now with with a virtual audience. So it's not just what happens on Sunday, but it's how we communicate through email, how we encourage people to sign up for things like that so we can stay in touch with them, how we connect them to additional content, how we connect them to, to, to events that happen outside of a Sunday morning or a Saturday night service, whatever your services are. I think that is where a big switch begins to take place where I'm not a consumer tuning in, but I'm actually experiencing other events along the way as well, whether they're in person or virtual.
0: Yeah. Just even tangentially for us, our church plant's three years old and, you know, baby church, just getting our sea legs under us. But it was like, okay, we, we're not going to record, worship on the stage live mix. We're gonna record it in studio, do some sort of video that fits for online. I need to do some sort of personable welcome and intro and tell them that the sermon is coming up. Just simple basic stuff, monitoring social media, which we can get into in a moment, using church online platforms, distributing as widely as possible, and simple stuff like study guide for individuals, groups, families, just trying to put resources in their hands so that they can learn God's word. Cause right now, I mean, some pastors can be, and I, I love pastors very much, but some can be very legalistic. And that is you need to be a church, you need to be there on Sunday, do not forsake the gathering together. And now you're like, Hey man, I'm not a le- allowed to leave my house or I'm in a high risk category. And so if you're a legalist, this is a pretty impossible time to do ministry <laughs> uh, because whatever your legalism is, it doesn't work. It just got blown up. And I was talking to a buddy of mine, he's out of state. He's just finishing a $16 million building campaign. They've been closed for three months and uh, everything he's hearing from the governor is they, will not open this year that their finished new building will be empty with zero events for at least nine months wow you know which means if you don't pivot and figure something out you're you're over
1: exactly how do you pivot and you know one of the things i was talking to one of my buddies who runs a construction organization does a lot of work with churches one of the things that they're pivoting to is how do you create outdoor spaces like if you're not going to be gathering in person inside a building, is there a way to use the property and outdoor spaces to create at least a connectivity that might also play into and complement what you're doing virtually in instances like that for sure?
0: Well, and I think you raise an interesting question and point there. And that is some people are thinking, you know, we just need to ride this out and get to the other side and get back to normal. But who knows what the future holds? I mean, you know, is there something like this that comes again or is this come back every year in the fall? I, we just don't know. And I think those who are sort of taking all of their, you know, all of their chips and putting them on, we will open the building. We will get back to normal and giving, will pick up where it left off. I think that's a high risk venture. And I believe just like we're seeing a lot of small businesses not make the turn. I think some churches are going to have that same real difficult decision to make.
1: Exactly. Yep. That's, this is the reality we live in. It's the new normal.
0: So within that, just, uh, Briefly, I was talking to one large network and their data point, I was gonna see if you had any thoughts on this. They were saying that their uh, their research indicates per device. So let's say you're a pastor right now, much or most or all of your ministry is online and digital and you're trying to figure out what's our impact. Um, they said that for the average IP, the average device that's you know streaming service or sermon, it's 2.5 to 2.7 people per IP address or device. You may not, but do you have any data that would help those leaders figure out their impact of online ministry?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's a um, a, a pretty widely held. I think you know there there are some that are more conservative, maybe 1.8. I think that. 2 to 2.5 is a, is a fine range too. I think a part of it you know the demographic of your church like do you have a bunch of retired people that have no kids or are you, you have a bunch of single people in your church or do you have a bunch of families and so I think you can kind of lower adjust that incrementally based on you know, you, you knowing the demographic of your church in general. <clears throat> I think it's important to realize that there are some vanity metrics like a view on YouTube or a view on Facebook or, or on your online streaming, they're, they're they're not all the same, they're determined a little differently. And so um, just being aware that a a view doesn't necessarily mean on every platform that you've had someone watch your whole sermon. Um, And so oftentimes what we'll say is um, you, you want to take one of those multipliers that you mentioned, uh, and and i think it's appropriate because there's just a not not a lot of ways uniformly across uh, digital platforms and, and throughout churches to really evaluate that. But I think just taking those views and then multiplying it, like you said, is an appropriate metric because then you're at least doing apples to apples every week, knowing that there may be some, Hey, it's a 32nd view on Facebook versus a three minute view somewhere else and those kind of things. Uh, and knowing that some of those things exist, but at least you're comparing apples to apples every week and saying, okay, if I'm looking at the same information every week, how is that going up or down? Because the question I believe is more important is saying week to week is the experiencing is the experience declining or increasing? Are people coming back because what they found was good, or they are they are they not coming back because we're doing something in the format of the program or the uh, the service that is just not as engaging? And so and and looking more specifically when you can get access to it to the stats. Of throughout the service so we started at this point we really telled off what do we do or we started at this point things really exploded during this part of the service what do we do and really being unafraid to say this worked and that didn't
0: Well, and within that one of the just experiments we and I would say this is a good time for ministry leaders to experiment. So if you're used to just sending out your Sunday service, you know, mimicking what's in the room online as much as you're able, and then just broadcasting your service times that may work for your people, but that may not work to expand your base. Yep. And so yep. for us, we're like uh, here at the Trinity Church, we're going to go to a Saturday night service in July so that I can start pushing on Saturday night and I can push because there's, you know, there's time zones around the world. We tried this for Good Friday and Easter. I broadcast every hour trying to figure out what would it be like to hit every time zone on planet Earth as an experiment just to see what happened. And it actually worked. And the yeah. the viewership every hour of Good Friday and Easter. So we broadcast 48 hours in a row. It was actually remarkably consistent and you can track it. You're like, okay, Brazil tuned in here, Europe turned it tuned in here. And, and I think it provides this inexpensive way to maybe do more ministry than ever if we think beyond our local congregation. So, you know, I would just encourage pastors, try different things. I mean, we've tried morning, we tried evening broadcast. Uh, We tried a late night broadcast recently that actually did better than the morning broadcast. So I think people used to who were participating in church online, they would sit down at the service time, I think right now they're consuming content I either when it's convenient for them, or they're replaying content later. It's not like, you know, when there is a live meeting, you need to be there. But I mean, how many of us, you know, we're watching Netflix, we're not watching live, you know, exactly. I mean, how many of us are not watching cable TV? And it's like, you know, it's, I know, it's nine o'clock, I got to sit down and watch Gold Rush, you know, it's like, well, I'll I'll watch it some year whenever it works for me. And so I, I think even pastors accepting the fact that the way people are consuming content means we need to make it constantly available and live lots more availability than maybe we have in the past because they're, they're just not trying to make up for the Sunday that they missed and the service that they couldn't attend. It becomes for them, their new habit, their new routine, their new normal.
1: Yes. And in this evidence, even just by when you post a, when you do a live video on Facebook, the bulk of the views, the vast majority of the views come after the live episode has ended. And that's, that's, that's just goes back to your behavioral experience that, that people just, they want to, wake up later or go to breakfast and then watch service or however, however they want to do life being on demand is the, is the new normal. And so even thinking about how you construct the service that way, is there value in actually being live, live? Yes. If you're doing an in-person service, but if you're virtual only as we have been through the pandemic, there's probably some value in pre-producing that and making sure it's a smooth and, and cohesive experience for people. And so not being afraid of
0: that. So let me pivot then to, uh, to social media. And so if we're talking about largely digital ministry, online giving uh, I mean, there's broadcasting content, but then social media becomes really more of the ministry interaction, answering questions, Mm -hmm. providing resources, praying for folks, whatever the case may be. Um, What are you finding in social media? If If you were to talk to the average pastor, ministry leader, whatever the case may be, do this. Don't do that. This is not working. This is more productive.
1: Yeah, I. <laughs> there's a broad swath there, right? Um, and what, what we find on social is it's the way that you make people aware, number one, and engage people. So when you look at the way that you um, historically have done social media as a church, most likely, there's been a lot of information on your social platform. So we're having this event at this time, or we're launching this program, come visit here, or services this week, here's the, the sermon topic. And make sure to bring your friends. So it's been very information focused. And what we're, we're seeing is information, while important and relevant, and we still want to give those updates, has been, is shifting now to uh, more of celebration, engagement, uh, content. So, and the beauty, beautiful part of, of producing a virtual experience is that you can cut that virtual experience up. And so, and push that content out throughout the week as a teaser to come back to the full content. I think that's one of the like lowest hanging fruits that churches and leader leaders can do right now is you have put a lot of energy in producing this content, take that content, chop it up, and then distribute it out to people in in smaller chunks throughout the week. Like remind people if they already watched it, oh, that was a great point. I loved that. Or, and I want to share it with someone, or I missed that. That's a great point. I really need to go back and listen to it or watch it. And I think that's one things one of the things we often forget about. We did it. We done. We move on. Well, there's so much life left in that content that we typically will leave to the side. So say the second thing is knowing that people want to, to connect with you. So if you're if you're on social as a leader, that people are are less interested in the entity than they are in the leader uh, yourself. So they want to see a bit of your personal life. Uh, and it doesn't mean you, you, you're you not doing, you know, the real housewives of OC uh, pastor style. You're doing just life like, hey, you know, I'm watching my son at this baseball game. I'm just proud of him and excited that we get to do this in January in Phoenix, in your case, right? Whereas... <laughs> in other places in the country, you may not have been able to do that. So I think it's just it's a it's a little glimpse into it's a humanizing factor and it and it creates relationship equity with the people that engage with your content and, and view you. So I think that's the uh that those are two things. The other thing is is don't uh don't be frustrated by lack of engagement on everything you post. I think part of it is, you know, so sometimes you're gonna post something that just doesn't get engaged. That's fine, just move on. Um but but keep an eye on the things that people are engaging with. And one of my friends tells a a funny story where, you know, they worked really hard coming out of a Sunday sermon as the church to post questions that would engage people in the content. What what was your biggest takeaway from the Sunday or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you would get some engagement and then they would ask, what's your favorite cheeseburger in San Antonio? And they get, you know, 400 responses. So it's like, understand that sometimes those questions that just engage your audience that don't have a deeper meaning, quote unquote, are just a way to keep people engaged with your platform, engaged with your community. And then when you do bring up those more thought-provoking things that they're they're used to interacting with you and they and you're a trusted source as a result of that
0: well I think that's right because you think about it in our normal day-to-day conversations you usually don't start with um, you know so do you believe in the vicarious penal substitution of the Son of God usually like right. hey what's your name you know yeah. you, you, usually when you're beginning a relationship it's not with a you know a deep theological content blast it's with some sort of chit chat that begins a relationship and I think we've got a I think a lot of times is communicating. I'm I'm a professional yeller, so I, you know this would include me. We're used to just broadcasting information, but when we're on social media, we're really cultivating relationships, just like we would in person.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think far too often we see social media as an impersonal medium, especially if it's a, for our church and and so it may not be that. Hey, if you've got a pastor who really is just totally disengaged with social media, they're not going to get on. It's you know it's it's they're just not going to do it. That's Understand that. And then maybe you have a host or a hostess for, you know, your Instagram page that is someone who's frequently there that people can identify with as uh, as a way for people just to make a connection. And um, I think that throughout the week is what really helps create it it creates the symmetry. If you think about a a television program, when you watch TV, their goal is to tease you hard enough and, and make it. Make it so intriguing that when you go to a commercial break, you're going to stay tuned to the next or you're going to fast forward through TiVo to to, to get through to the next one. Right. So if 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 that is the goal of a TV program that that and they are getting paid based on eyeballs staying glued there's some of that that we need to do from a content perspective as a church. How do we keep people from one Sunday to the next? What do we do to draw their attention from one Sunday to the next and make sure that they are engaged throughout the week with key points of contact and content to make sure that they see this as a relevant for them, their family, and the people that they want to reach for Christ. And I think that's oftentimes we we have looked historically at our Sundays as a monolithic event that happens and people are going to become the come to church because the Bible says so. They're going to tithe because the Bible says so, and I don't really need to say anything else. Uh, When, in fact, we have a responsibility to engage and communicate with people in a meaningful and inspiring way so that they understand the biblical concept of, for instance, giving, and then... Uh, are motivated to do that, not just because the Bible says so, because you've given them a, a, a reason by which they can help extend the kingdom of God.
0: So within that too, just practically for the average pastor, ministry leader of any sort or of kind who's listening, you know, how important is it to have both preloaded content that is more evergreen, meaning it's, it's got more of a timelessness to it. And also then being available for timely content, because as you know, things blow up and you could preload something for two weeks, but who, you know, who knows what's going to happen in two weeks. How important is it for the leader, uh, to, to make sure that both of those things are happening, the preloading and then the live real-time responses?
1: Yeah, I think it's huge. It's, it's every, you know, the preload just takes a, a lift off of your team and, uh, it there's an intentionality that comes with it, knowing full well that once, twice, three times a year, you're going to have to blow up the preloaded because some COVID happens or rioting happens or whatever it is in our culture that's happening that you need to speak to directly. That's that should be the exception rather than the rule. Uh, and then and then being real time. And I think that's oftentimes where we miss great opportunities as leaders is being in the moment. And it doesn't mean being um responsive always right away. Sometimes we need to put thought into what we say and there's rare, there's high value in thinking through what we're going to say and being really intentional about it.
0: Yeah. No, so the ready fire aim is not the best <laughs> go forward plan.
1: No. no, we, we see a lot of that, unfortunately. And I think just being thoughtful and I think people value that they want to know that their leaders are being thoughtful and that when they are presenting content, um, whether that's out of a series to a current event situation, whatever it might be, they are looking to us for those answers. And so let's be careful and intentional about the things that we're, and ensuring that we're always pointing them to the place that God's called us to point them, which is Jesus and keeping that focus. And I think some of the, you know, this, this has been an interesting few weeks in our culture and there's been a lot of stuff said, a lot of things posted. And I think, you know, the consistent thing that I hear from um, leaders of all races um, in our evangelical sphere is when we are pointing people to god to jesus and his word and 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 using that as the basis from which we are we are encouraging people to take steps towards one another or to listen well etc that that's people need that reminder because everything else in the culture is bombarding them with everything else. And so I think that's part of why you stay relevant in the moment is because you're helping your people process life. So it's still so ministry.
0: It's not just broadcasting. It's not infighting. Nope. It's not flame-throwing, dumpster fire, prison riot, you know, make your shiv, stab the guard, set your mattress on fire. It's doing ministry, helping yep. people navigate the complexity of what's going on around them.
1: Yep, and process life through the lens that is, uh, Pastor Mark, like you have been called to help people process life through the lens of Jesus. What does that look like, and how do I, how do I uh, do that? Because life is hard, it's complicated, and it's rough. And so I think as we, it's a huge opportunity for ministry when we look at not just the pulpit uh, ministry that we have, but what happens Monday through Saturday as well.
0: So just real quickly, and then I have a few final quick hit questions for you just mm-hmm. practically for those ministry leaders that are listening, okay, preload content. That sounds good. Get some Bible verses, quotes up, and then I can hit timely. What would be some of the software that you all have found or tools or platforms that you all use at Dunham Company? Because you do a lot of social media management for and monitoring for some of the largest ministries in the country in the world. What are just some of the practical tools that you would say, these are the ones that we find helpful?
1: Yeah, and it, it depends on the size of the organization for sure, because some of the The uh, the uh, tools that we use are uh, great for certain sizes, and maybe they're way too much for smaller organizations, or not enough for bigger. And so, you know, there there are things that have been around for a long time, like Hootsuite, that that work well for lots of different size organizations. um, And when it comes to social monitoring, and even just scheduling, um, and uh, we use probably five or six different other platforms that. Uh, would be dependent upon the the frequency and the analytics. And uh, what's one of the things that's really shifting in our landscape right now uh, digitally is analytics? Because no longer is it okay in the analytics field to be saying... You had X amount of impressions. There's so much data below that that says who's coming here, who's viewing it, how long are they Um, staying? Yeah, how long are they staying? What types of content are they engaging with? Do they engage with that content on Tuesdays versus Thursdays at 5 p.m. or 2 p.m.? And all that stuff is really important to be able to evaluate. So you need to have uh, a system of evaluative tools at your disposal, whether that be your your uh, email platform, if that's like a Mailchimp or a HubSpot uh, for inbound marketing. As well, and then connecting basic things like Google Analytics to your website so you can track who's coming and what the traffic is like and how many of those people are returning versus new and thinking through and we we use some of that data, for instance, to work with a few churches recently, their websites for the church were completely focused on their um, their returning you know membership families, and what we found is that the traffic almost to every church, most of the traffic are new or inquiring people and who haven't been there before so if your if your home page ignores that experience for a new person, the likelihood of them actually coming to your church is very low. But if you prioritize that um and make that the welcome map for people who are looking for a new church experience or home, then the likelihood of them engaging increases dramatically, and so it's just using data. Uh, to make wise decisions like you know,
0: in that way. And for ministry leaders, what he's talking about is something as simple as plan your visit on the front page. Click here. Yep. Tell us who you are, what service you're coming to. If you have kids, we'll have your kids ready to get checked in. We'll have somebody to meet you. They'll hand you a bag, give you a Bible, give you a cup of coffee, answer any questions, take you to your seat, and then leave so it doesn't feel awkward like they picked up yep. a free stalker. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's just it's a hospitality, and, and we tend to think of hospitality as Christians love each other the, the word in the Bible for Christians loving each other is fellowship hospitality yes. is the welcoming of the stranger yep. and in the digital yep, yep. age you know the plan your visit is the new front door long before they actually walk in the the physical front door of the church and so I mean it's it really is simple things like that because if you are new we all know what it's like that first day of school or you've moved or you've transferred into a new school mid-year and everybody knows each other and they've already got the routine they know where the lockers are they know who to sit with at lunch and you're the the odd new kid. It's really nice if one of the kids says, Hey, welcome, let me hang out with you and sort of be your tour guide. And in church, they are entering into a subculture and a new reality. And you just feel very odd. Like you've walked in on a family reunion and you're not part of the family and you're an out, yep. you're an outsider.
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly right. And, and, and that's why the systems you have in place in order for you to facilitate something like that, automate a lot of those things. Another one of the tools we use is called sprout social that That is another good uh, tool to to schedule your um and and also listen to what people are saying about you on social, how they're engaging with you, and respond back to them because to your your previous question, responding back to people has everything to do with the likelihood for them to engage more deeply in a relationship with you even online uh, if it's a one way communication and and you know they're asking a question of how do I donate and you never respond? do you think that that donation's ever going to come through probably not so uh, it's a good example of how we need to be listening and responding as well.
0: All right, two quick hit questions. Platforms like uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, which ones are primarily male? Which ones are primarily female? Because a lot of leaders are like, they want to get on one or two platforms. But when you look at it, you're like, oh, if you want to go to address women, this is more of a dominating platform for men. This is more of a dominating platform. If you want to hit both, this is sort of the majority platform. How do they tend to trend male and female?
1: Yeah, I mean, from a demographic perspective like that, um, the m- male heavy platform is Twitter. Um, and really, if you look at uh, Instagram, has been the fastest growing over the past few years even. And um, they're obviously owned by Facebook. And Facebook is where the lion's share of the people who are going to be engaging with your content giving to your ministry or your church um are going to be engaging around you know have you set up facebook groups for the different ministries within your church so that they can you know convene more regularly ask questions more easily and know who their leaders are that kind of thing Uh, knowing the 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 value of each and i think there is value in each platform of the three you mentioned um but really, that Twitter's going to lean more heavily male. Facebook's going to skew older. Uh, Instagram's going to skew, skew a bit younger. And then you've got you know a dozen other platforms based on the type of demographic of your church or the specific ministry you're involved in that you might use. If you've got a ministry to business leaders, you're going to be on LinkedIn and things like that. So so what's knowing- the
0: primary core audience at MySpace? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, people that's that a, haven't uh, been
0: on the internet since the '80s is that like the yeah. core constituency?
1: I think that's the core constituency, and if you're still following <laughs> White Snake or you know Poison as your favorite bands, then you're probably still hanging out
0: there, rocking like Docking on MySpace. Okay, um, just uh, finally, you uh, you guys are doing a lot of research, and so this is going to be a shameless plug for Dunham and Company because I love ya. Um, you. How do people get signed up for the newsletter? Because honestly, you are doing some of the greatest data work on social media and giving for churches and nonprofits, and it's a free newsletter that folks can subscribe mm-hmm. to. And if they want more, they can go to the summit that you guys have every year, or they can send their communications mm-hmm. or their donor director uh, to mm-hmm. to meet with leaders of platforms and to, and to share best practices. What are some ways that they can get more information and learn some more to carry the conversation forward?
1: Sure. So um, yeah, thank you for that. Our our website Dunham D U N H A M and the company, so all spelled out Dunham and dot com, and there's a there's a sign up right there on the homepage for the newsletter, and we do send out through that. Um, uh, our CEO, my father, uh, Rick Dunham, he is the chair of the Giving USA Foundation. This year, and they release the the kind of preeminent research uh, every year annually on giving in the United States. That just came out for 2019. Those the, that data just came out. Uh, And so a lot of that is there. There's a lot of other research we're doing throughout the year. Uh, As I referenced earlier, the giving during the pandemic, the likelihood for people to give um, during the pandemic and going through for the rest of the year, looking at some of that data, social engagement. We've also got some tools on there under Dunham Institute where we just have uh, sessions that you could go watch. If you just like I need to, you know, learn the best practices around podcasting, go go view that session in our Dunham Institute library of videos. And you can kind of do some basic training there that I think a lot of people find helpful as well.
0: Cool. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you again next time I'm in Dallas. And uh, if you would like any more information, uh, do go ahead and visit the Dunham Company website. You can go to Real Faith as well. Get this podcast, other resources, research briefs, classes, uh, other interviews, just trying to help ministry leaders and pastors. And uh, Trent, thanks for joining us today, my friend. You
1: bet. Thanks, Pastor Mark. Love you guys. All
0: right. Blessings. Uh Bye-bye.
1: Bye.